Amen, amen. Powerful name of Jesus. And that, that was powerful. Um, praise God for this time of, of worship, Aaron and Marcus and Zena and everybody. You guys are awesome. Praise God. Um, really, really good to be here with you at the bridge. Pleased to uh, be back after a couple of weeks of being away. Uh, we had the hurricane that we, um, that we took a break for. We had third service, but that week, you'll remember, Matthew ruined things for us. Uh, so out of respect for those who were serving, those who were impacted by the hurricane, we, um, we, took, uh, we took that Sabbath off. And then last week, I was away in North Carolina. I did a baby dedication uh, for, some, for some folks who used to be church members here. And uh, we had a very special time there. So it's good to be back at the bridge. Awesome to see you. Really pleased to have you here. I want to hit a couple of things before we dive into the last message of our The End of Me series. And, um, uh, and this will wrap that series up and we'll dive into some new stuff uh, next week and so forth. But uh, real quick here, want to remind you about Pack the Forest. Um, just if you would register, sign up, plan to volunteer for December 3rd. It's three to five. We'd love to have you. And we'd also love to have you give and donate. Right now, we're about 50% of 500 uh, volunteers. We usually have about 500 volunteers for Pack the Forest. And we're, we're halfway there already, and it's not even November yet. So you do want to sign up real quick. Go to forestlakechurch.org. But we would love for you Grab all your quarters. One of those meals that my wife held up is just a quarter. And I know you got plenty of those in between the seat cushions of your, so, your car, your sofa, right? So grab your quarters, gather your change. We like the money that doesn't make any noise too. Um, and donate and give. And we've always hit our target. So we want to encourage you to not only sign up to volunteer and pack meals and promise packs, but we want to encourage you to give, give, give if you would. And um, I want to do something here real quick because we have a great team that works behind the scenes. A lot of you folks don't see all the time and energy that they do, uh, that they give to the church. And I want to honor one of those folks right now because he had a birthday this week. Armando, where'd he go? Did he step away? No, Armando's right there. His twin brother's here, so he's trying to trick me. That's not, you can't mess with me. I know you. Now, you got to come up here because I have something for you. So hurry. You got to run, man. Hurry. I got to preach too, so you got to hustle, man. <laughs> Actually, you're preaching today. That's your birthday gift. Nah, man, we, we appreciate Armando so much. He, is an, he and his wife, Marilyn, lead our Freeway Sabbath School, which gathers right after this service. So any young adults or young adults at heart, if you want to join us at 1115 um, in the Upper Youth Center, please do. And they do a tremendous job, a lot of energy and time. And we, when we have an opportunity to to honor one of our team. We like to do that. So here, and I should have made Marilyn come up too. But uh, hey, give them, a, give them a big hand. They do tremendous work. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Um, all right. So uh, just keep that in mind. Also, one last thing. This afternoon, we're doing a packing event from 2.30 to 3.30 with Feeding Children Everywhere. That's our partner for Pack the Forest. But we're doing a special one just for Haiti because of the devastation there. So if you want to join us, 2.30, 3.30, just go over to Feeding Children Everywhere. It's in Longwood. You can go to feedingchildreneverywhere.com and find out where their building is. All right, amen? You good, Brids? Woo, I think y'all are sleeping. We're gonna have to fix that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we have this morning. 
to enter into your presence, to gather under the name that is above all names, to gather under the, in the power of the Spirit of Almighty God, who touches and transforms hearts and lives, who steps into desperate situations and brings about healing and recovery and wholeness, a God who is present in the midst of our suffering and our pain. We are grateful that we can be with you. And so, Father, may you just show yourself and reveal yourself to us uh, as we've never experienced before. And as the song we just sung uh, so, uh, was such an expression of, of worship, Lord, May we go out of this place continuing to lift up the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it was a few weeks ago that we had a, a very good friend of ours uh, come to town. And um, he's actually, he's just a, he's a young boy. He's like 13 years old. Uh, his name is Zachy. At least I've known him since he was two. We've always called him Zachy. He may be old enough now that he only wants to be called, you know, Zach or Z or something like that. But um, great young man and a great family from out in Utah when I was pastor there. They were uh, members of my church. And, um, but he happened to be in town with his aunt and his grandmother a few weeks ago. And so we took the opportunity to get together with, that fam with them. And uh, they came over and had lunch. And like a, like a good Adventist family, we, you know, we, we had like a haystack type of meal. That's important, right? Um, but in the afternoon, as we were just kind of hanging out and talking, we were uh, just kind of hanging out, um, Zachy has developed uh, a skill. And uh, he's, a, he's a bit of a, of a magician, really. I mean, he's got some... He's got some card tricks that he does. And I kind of heard that he did these card tricks or whatever and, and could do them. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, he's 13 years old. You know, he, I don't know about these card tricks that he can do. You know, you get them off the back of the cereal box. And, you, you know, I think, I'm thinking to myself, um, if he pulls out a deck of cards, we're going to we're gonna have to suffer through some really painful card tricks here, you know? It's not going to go well for the young man, and I'm going to have to be very encouraging, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was really good, but not really, you know? So, so sure enough, afternoon, you know, we're kind of hanging out, and Zachy's got these cards that he pulls out, and, um, and we're like, yeah, man, show us, you know, show us what you got. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, here we go. And I'm kind of praying, too, because I, I don't want him to fail, you know. And uh, for about the next 40 minutes, this young man, 13 years old, um, just pretty much had, us, had our jaws dropping. We were blown away. All right? I mean, he had, he had savvy. He, had, he did all the stuff that, that great, you know, card trick magicians are able to do. I mean, he'd pick a card, and we'd pick the card, and the card would end up in the refrigerator or something. You know, I, it, was, it was amazing. I'm sitting there watching this going, and, and there was a point in there where it was a little bit creepy good, all right? You're, it's like creepy, like, dude, you, you're not supposed to be doing that, you know? That's like, I'm going to pray right now because it just got weird, all right? And he was, he's that good. And he went on for like, like 30 minutes, my, my, my girls are there. You know, teenagers aren't easily impressed, all right? My girls are sitting there going, what? We have video of their reactions. I should post them. It's, it's hilarious. 
Um, but this young man just blew us away with his skill and his savvy and his ability to execute these tricks and, and all this sort of thing. He never revealed to us any of, his, of the secrets of his tricks, you know. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about the reality of the fact that um, you and I, there's a good chance we'll likely never be able to perform with the skill of a Zaki or some other professional card magician type of person. We'll never be able to do the, do, have the skill of misdirection or have the sleight of hand. That's what it is. It's kind of a sleight of hand because he knows exactly what he's doing, but he's mastered the skill of being able to focus our attention on something else so he can do the thing that he needs to do to convince us that he's done something really, really cool. And he knows what he's doing, but we have no clue. You and I will probably never, even on our best day, have that skill down pat. But you know what? There's something else that you and I do that we've become quite good at. It's not sleight of hand. It's not sleight of hand. In some ways, it is a bit of misdirection. And I'm going to let the Bible describe to you a little bit of what we do sometimes and we're going to dive in a little bit this morning into um, just what this thing is. So listen to this and see if, you can, see if you can relate to what the Bible describes. It's not so much magic. It's more of sleight of life, if you will. Check this out. Jesus speaking. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's Matthew chapter 6. And the subtopic, this one little sub subject that Jesus gets on, um, is the subject of fasting. And he begins to talk a little bit about fasting here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16. He says, when you fast, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full, verse 17. But when you, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who, who sees uh, what is done in secret will reward you. There's a little bit of a hint. There's something about you and me and the way that we do life that's resembled in this passage. I'm going to take you to the, um, the message version of the same passage. So this is Matthew chapter 6, and it's the same verses, 16 through 18. Listen to this. Maybe it makes it a little bit clearer. When you practice some appetite denying, that's the way the message says fasting, when you practice some appetite denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly, right? Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face, practice some personal hygiene. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you are doing. He'll reward you well. Have you caught on to it yet? Maybe this will help you. Uh, from a book called When Bad Christians Happen to Good People. When Bad Christians Happen to Good People, Dave Burchett says this, and the secret is found in the first, the first sentence. I am a hypocrite. I can be arrogant and selfish. 
I have been known to stretch, conceal, or slightly massage the truth. I am sometimes inconsiderate and insecure. I struggle with lust and impure thoughts. My ego often rages out of control and I battle foolish pride. I can be lazy and foolhardy with my time. I get angry, petty, and ill-tempered. I am sarcastic and cynical. I am a Christian. Wow. You see, it's not so much that we may master magic through card tricks, but we have mastered a certain trick in this life. If we haven't mastered, we certainly practice it a lot, and that is, that is simply to pretend. To pretend to be something that we actually aren't. It may depend on the circumstances, right? It may depend on who we're around. There's a certain way I act when I'm in this place and I walk through the doors of this building than when I walk through the doors of my office or my school. I have learned to assume a particular role depending upon the environment I find myself in. And if you call yourself a Christian, you are not immune to this particular trick either. And that's what Jesus is getting at. In fact, I would, I would venture to guess that, that of all the things that Jesus condemned in the Bible, and a lot of those things we made that Jesus didn't condemn just overtly, some of those things aren't nearly as big as this thing that Jesus really struggled with, with people, and that is a certain level of self-righteousness and pretension that Christians put out to the world around them. Jesus had some strong words for those people, and the word that we use, the word that is, is even harsh to hear, all right, it's difficult to even hear, but I own it, and this morning I challenge you to own it as well. That word is hypocrite. Hypocrite. It is true that there are times when, in fact, what I say I believe and what I, what I have conviction about in my heart, I don't always live out before the people around me. It's just the truth of the matter. Sometimes, sometimes, there's conflictedness within and I become divided. And when I walk into a certain room or when I'm around certain people, I do this or I just adjust and adapt to the environment. And Jesus doesn't have very much patience for that. And it's a strong word from the Sermon on the Mount. The word hypocrite, uh, it's found, it's in the New Testament primarily. It's found about 27 times. In the book of Matthew, it's found about 20 times. As Jesus in particular, throughout the Sermon on the Mount and some of his early ministries, he begins to point this out because he has a lot of impatience with the current, with the religious leaders of his day. And the basic meaning of the word, the way the, the way the Bible paints the picture is that you're an actor on a stage. And back in Greek dramas, back in Greek dramas, which had a lot, Greek had a lot of influence on scripture and a lot of influence on the ancient people of the Bible, in Greek dramas, they would have these big, they'd have these big, um, these big pictures that they would attach to a stick, and the actor on the stage would put that stick in front of his face and the mask would appear, Right? Think of, if you're, a, if you're a sports fan, you know, um, you know those, those, big, uh, those big wall posters that you can put of your favorite team on the wall. They're called fatheads. Is that what they're called, sports people? 
those big, uh, big poster type things. Imagine a fathead with your favorite NFL player on it and a stick and you beginning to wear the mask and play the role of that person. That's the imagery behind hypocrite. In other words, you and I assume we begin to perform. And the thing about hypocrisy is this, that oftentimes it's very much calculated. It's planned. It's premeditated. It's, it's the type of thing that where I know that people are going to have certain expectations of me. In order for me to meet those expectations, I'm going to pretend to be what they believe me to be or what I ought to be. Right? Again, case in point, there's a lot of stuff and a lot of way that we talk and a lot of music that we listen to, a lot of stuff we watch on TV that I don't dare breathe a word of when I'm around church people. There's always that awkwardness, right? When you go to a restaurant around the Adventist and you, you want to get pepperoni pizza more than anything <laughs> you do. Or the bacon double cheeseburger, you're like, but I'm with my Adventist friends. <laughs> I'm with my Adventist friends. All right? And so we adapt. Here's, here's another story in Scripture. It's probably one of the most, one of the most poignant, most significant. Because you have two, you have a significant leader of God's people, and he falls into the same trap that you and I fall into very often, and that is um, not being entirely truthful about who we are, not being authentic, not being real. Um, and so there, there were key leaders that um, after Jesus left the earth, and he returned back to heaven. He left, he left the church in the hands of his followers, his key apostles, if you will. One of the most significant apostles is a guy by the name of Peter. Remember Peter? And Jesus said, on Peter, I will build my church. On Peter the rock, I will build my church. And so Peter plays a very, very prominent role in the New Testament church in particular. And so this story comes from the book of Galatians. Um, and I want you to take a look at it with me. It's Galatians chapter 2 in particular, and uh, Peter and another significant um, apostle, if you will, by the name of Paul, have a bit of a conflict, and it's over this very same subject of the hypocrisy, the actor on a stage, the, the compromise of not being really who you say you are, because perhaps the circumstances around you have changed. And so this comes from uh, Galatians chapter 2, and let me, let me just read it with you here a little bit, and you'll hear it. Um, it's pretty powerful. You'll hear it come out here, uh, just the conflict that goes on between the two, because Peter um, is the one that finds himself in that awkward position of having to adapt to his surroundings. And Paul, the other significant leader of the church at the time, actually confronts him about it and calls him out on it. So this is what it, this is the story. It's found in Galatians uh, chapter 2 and verse 11, goes through the first part of 14. It says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those, he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, 
There's the word. The other Jews joined him in his acting charade so that by their hypocrisy, their acting charade, even Barnabas was led astray. Verse 14, listen to this. He says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Just that first little line there. So, here you have two significant leaders of God's church. They actually both agree on the issue of the day. And here, real quick, the issue of the day is that there were people, Gentile people, people who were not Jews, were joining in the, they were joining the church. There were really, there, were, there was a significant uh, hub in the New Testament church in Jerusalem, right? Down in Judea, that's in the south. Up to the north, because the spread of the gospel, largely because of Paul's work, uh, up to the north was a place called Antioch. Antioch was a place where there are a lot of Greeks, a lot of Gentiles, and they were, they were catching on to the message of the gospel. They were starting to believe it, and the work there was spreading, and it was just really, really powerful. And um, one of the things they started to confront, though, because there were Jews there also, was this pressure by Jews to have them follow, follow the laws of Moses. Included in the laws of Moses was this commandment to be circumcised. Now, Paul, Paul had been very clear. When he spread the gospel to Antioch, he was very clear. Look, you, you accept Jesus by faith. He loves you. He doesn't require of you circumcision before he will receive you and accept you. That was the gospel in a nutshell, if you will, that Paul preached to the people who were being converted at Antioch. But they were getting another message from some of the other people who were around them, some of the Jews who expected, hey, hey, you, you know, we've been through some stuff. We have a history here. There's some, there's some requirements. You can't just come up in here and expect to be part of us. And Paul said, no, 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 no. It's, it's a level playing field. The cross took care of that. We come to faith in Jesus and, and we come to know him and, 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 and serve him, not because of circumcision or by keeping the law, but is strictly by faith. But there's a lot of pressure on Peter. A lot of pressure on Peter. Because while he believed that and while he and Paul had worked that understanding out, he was a Jew, and a lot of his support and a lot of the people that he knew uh, were Jewish. And so it was an awkward thing, because when Peter was around those Gentile converts, because he believed in the gospel and in faith, he, he hung out with them, and he just, uh, you know, he, he was with them, and he would sit down and he'd eat meals with them, and he'd do communion with them. And if you were to have a meal and do communion with, with someone, that was a sign of acceptance, that we were in agreement. And so Peter had no problem doing that with some of these Gentile converts until some of his Jewish friends showed up. And he understood what was going on in their minds. And he was conflicted. And like you and me, and like any of us, we would find, if we found ourselves in that place, it would, be, it would come so natural for us to sort of disregard and abandon our truest convictions, what we know to be truth, especially when it comes to the gospel. And then we, we sort of buddy up. We begin to ignore the people who we've received and accepted, and we begin to buddy up to the people who we really, really must have their acceptance and not their rejection. Did you notice the word there? Did you notice the word? Um, verse 11, let's see. 
verse, uh, let's see, verse 12. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. And therein lies the core issue with us. When we find ourselves divided, when we find ourselves playing a game, acting, being a hypocrite, it primarily comes from a deep-seated fear that somehow I'm going to be rejected. We are terrified of rejection. I don't care how big and strong you are. I don't care how much CrossFit you do, how many times you go to the gym. Every one of us is terrified of people rejecting us and turning us away. You just are. It's the nature. Of, I don't, you can be the biggest loner you want to be. You can tell me that all day long, but you are terrified. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of us through our lives, through perhaps the circumstances of our childhood, we experienced abandonment, we experienced brokenness, we experienced all kinds of familial type of stuff that left us feeling rejected. And a lot of the stuff that we do now to gain acceptance out of our deep fear of being rejected again is because we don't want to experience the pain of rejection ever again. Neuroscientists. Neuroscientists have studied the brain and have determined that the same, that the same pain that you experience from somebody punching you in the face, the same pain that you experience in the same part of the brain that lights up when you get punched in the face is the same pain you feel when you experience rejection. I could come up and hit you, but it'd be probably more potent if I just turn away from you and reject you. Wow. Wow. And so we operate with a whole lot of fear, and we operate with a lot of pretension at times, and we become somewhat hypocritical or the actor on a stage primarily because we don't want to be rejected. And here's, here's where it affects the gospel. Because some of us have allowed this same thinking to seep into our minds when it comes to the God of the universe. If I don't do the right dance for Jesus, if I don't, if I don't toe the line, if I don't follow the law to the letter of the law, he may very well, may not accept me. Here's the other thing about hypocrites, right? Here's the other thing about us hypocrites. We also place a certain standard on other people, right? That, those are the worst hypocrites, right? The reason why so often people reject Christian faith altogether is because they're sick of Christians having expectations of them that they themselves don't even keep, right? And so, so, so even, you know, even though we recognize that there's, we, you know, even though us hypocrites sometimes place expectations on ourselves and we try to act in such a way that maybe we could actually do them, we also have this sort of expectation on other people. And sometimes we sit in judgment of the other people. Wow. Crazy. But Jesus challenges them, and in doing so, he challenges us. Please know, please understand that you are loved and you are accepted. 
I have not rejected you. Don't allow this crazy thinking to seep into your mind that somehow you have to perform for me in order for me to accept you. You don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to be the perfect Adventist. I love you. You see, a lot of times, the reason we act like this sometimes we act so divided is because we're not quite secure in the belief that there is a God who has in fact done everything and so the the gospel isn't primarily about what I have to do it's about what has been done for me and if I can live in that reality it diminishes my temptation it diminishes my temptation to become an actor on a stage I don't adjust to the surroundings. I begin to live authentically. And the beauty of living authentically, it is, it is actually the gateway to acceptance. Ever hung around with fake people? You can say amen, it's all right. You don't want to be around them very long because they can see right through your stuff. The foolish part The foolish part is that we believe that when we put on a mask, that somehow people fall for it, right? I remember as a kid around this time of year, I always wanted to be Superman, and then I wanted to be Darth Vader. (laughs) And I remember going to the store and getting the Darth Vader mask. It was awesome. And I remember putting Darth Vader on and going to that, that house and knocking on the door and, and, and doing my little, yeah, like Darth Vader, some of you had no childhood, people. What is wrong with you? Good Lord. Jesus, help them. All right, so, but I don't think anyone who came to the door was ever under the impression at all that they were in any danger of me using the force to destroy their lives. I don't think for a moment they ever bought into me being the evil dark lord of the empire. They just saw a kid in a mask and they gave me some candy. The truth of the matter is, you can be a hypocrite all you want to. You can put on a mask, you can dance around the stage, you can jump through the hoops so people will accept you, but at the end of the day, it's a huge turnoff. At the end of the day, nobody wants, will want to be around you. The most powerful thing is we serve a God who says he would never leave you nor forsake you. So even in the midst of our pretending, which by the way, God sees through the mass too, but in the midst of our pretending, there's still this voice from God himself that says, I love you, I accept you, why don't you come and rest in me? I've got something so real and so deep and so profound for you. I have a way for you to live not divided, but whole. And it'll make a huge difference in your life. I wanna invite you to give up your acting career and just live authentically. It is a gateway to acceptance with those around you. And it'll make all the difference in the world as you attempt to live, to live for the God of the universe who will never leave you nor forsake you. Our Father and our God, 
We, um, we're grateful as we've gathered in this place to be reminded of the fact that we can put away our masks. You've never liked them anyway. We don't have to play a charade. We don't have to pretend. But in fact, it's only as we come authentically before you, only as we just get real, that we will find the life that we so long to live in you. Thank you, Father. We praise your name. Bless us and keep us in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a terrific Sabbath. We'll see you next week.